0: Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 12. Uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, John 12, 27 through verse 36. Uh, please listen as I read God's word. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name, then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Our Father who spoke out of the heavens on this day, would you speak out of the heavens yet again today? Teach us by your word. Take this from our head to our heart. May we be children of the light and walk in him. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, uh, maybe you know this, uh, every Friday, uh, the two pastors from the East Campus and I get together and we study the text together. It's wonderful. We spend two or three hours every Friday talking about last week's sermon and some upcoming texts. But then we spend the bulk of the time looking at the passage for this week, and it's it's one of our favorite times of the week. We we love that time. Uh, I don't know why every pastor doesn't do that and gather some men together and study together. It's rich and it's wonderful. As we were talking about this text, we kept saying we don't want it to be too heavy. And we say that often because we, we, we preach the gospel, and, and we want our, our attitude and our mood and our expressions to be joyful and hopeful, not happy in a, in a happy, clappy sense, but real joy. We want people to leave ready to dance and to sing and to go and hope. And we don't like Sunday after Sunday everything to be so heavy. But this is going to be heavy. It can't not be heavy. In fact, if it's not heavy, if you don't feel some weight today, I have not done my job. This text begins with Jesus himself saying, my soul is troubled. Think of it. This is the Son of God. This is the high King of heaven, the ruler of heaven and earth, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the man who walked across the top of the water, the man who spoke and told the thunder clouds to stop and the winds to stop, uh, the man who raised another man from the dead, the man who raised a man from his lame state, literally. And now he says, my soul is troubled. Do not read that too quickly. Don't rush past that. This is Jesus knowing what's coming and there's something going on in his heart, and his psyche, his soul, that is very troubling to him. He said, my hour has come. We looked at this last week. Up to this point, it's been the hour is coming, the hour is coming, but now the hour has come, and my soul is troubled. Well, what hour? In a matter of hours or maybe a couple of days, Jesus is going to the cross. And he knows full well what is going to happen to him on that cross. Oh, there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain, physical pain, the likes of which none of us have probably ever experienced. We know this. We've seen this. We've studied this. We've talked about this. Don't let it go by too quickly. In just a matter of time, he's going to have steel stakes driven through his hands and his feet. And he's going to be suspended from a cross in agony like we've never experienced. he's also going to experience the total rejection of all of his friends. Friends who, the night before, will tell him, Jesus, we're for you, man. We're with you. We will go to the end with you. We will die for you. And then soon as trouble comes and someone says, Hey, Peter, weren't you with Jesus? Peter says, Nope, not me. Don't associate me with that guy. I had nothing to do with him. And all of his disciples, who he has spent the last three years with, teaching them, weeping with them, showing himself to be the Messiah, all of them are going to scatter and abandon him in his time of need. Complete rejection. Worse than all that. I mean, we can't comprehend that. That kind of intense physical pain and abandonment by your closest friends. Who who can endure that? But far worse than any of that. The Most High, Most Holy God. A God of justice. A God of vengeance. is going to turn his back on his only son and pour out the wrath that I deserve on Jesus. And he's gonna pour out the wrath that you deserve on Jesus. And for some period of time as he hangs on that cross, he is going to experience in his own person wrath of hell of a holy God. And Jesus knows it's coming. He says, my soul is troubled. We've seen this word before. When that lame man is lying next to the waters and Jesus walks up to him and says, would you like to be healed? And the man says, "How can I be? Because there's no one here to toss me in the pool." Remember, he says. Uh, one of the versions says the angel would come down and stir up the waters. That's the word, trouble the waters, agitate them. We saw this when Jesus stood outside of Lazarus's tomb. Remember that. He stands there and Jesus witnesses all of the people weeping and mourning and wailing because Lazarus is dead. And Jesus sees all of these people experience such grief and sorrow and he gets angry, agitated, horrified at what death has done. And your English translations say, Jesus was troubled. And now as Jesus ponders what's coming on the cross, in his inner man, he's horrified at experiencing the wrath of God. It's heavy. Our Lord felt in His being what's coming. The next line in most of your English Bible, in fact, I would say in every one of your Bibles, is put into the form of a question. Jesus says, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It may be that what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I know it's coming in. My heart is stirred up, but this is my purpose for being here. This is my very mission. And so I'm not going to ask the Father to spare me. No, no, no. Instead of that, Father, glorify your name. That may be what Jesus did. But there's an an ambiguity in the Greek text. All of your English versions take one side of the ambiguity, but there's another possible way to render this. It could be without the question mark. It could be with a period. I like that one better. I think it fits the context better. What I think John is giving us here is the pre-Gethsemane, Gethsemane. John doesn't actually describe the Garden of Gethsemane but he does contain this. I think for a moment, as Jesus is overcome with the weight of of what is about to happen, he has a discussion with his heavenly Father. He's overcome with the the distress, and he says, what am I going to say to this? The hour has come. What am I going to say to this? Father, Father, Save me from this hour. That is exactly what he does in Gethsemane. Do you remember? When you read the other gospels, on that night, Jesus takes a few of his friends to this garden and he says, Pray with me, my heart is heavy and he walks on a little ways and he falls on his knees and he cries out to his father remember father if possible what let this cup pass from me if you're willing father let this cup pass from me the cup Of wrath, the cup of God's justice. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And he pours out his heart to his father. And he gets up and he walks back to the disciples who were supposed to be praying for him. What are they doing? Snoozing. And Jesus says, brothers, can can you not even wait with me for an hour? Get up and pray. I need you to pray. You need you to pray. And he goes off again and he falls on his face and says, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Three times the scripture says he asks to let this cup pass, because he knows what's coming. Some of you have probably been here in some sense, maybe all of us. Have You ever had your supervisor ask for a meeting on Monday morning for Thursday? You, I need to see you Thursday at 10 a.m. Don't you hate that? What's going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning? You can't get out of your head. Uh Uh-oh. What does he want? What do I do? What's going to happen? The, The dread of that moment. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have experienced something like this in a way that I've heard, I haven't actually experienced But imagine if you were told that you are almost certainly going to contract, you're gonna get Alzheimer's. It's in your family, you show all the signs. At some point, your mind is not gonna work like it used to. As long as you're not showing any symptoms and signs, you get along okay. But what happens the first time you forget where you put your keys? Like, you've done that for 30, 40 years, but suddenly the doctor says you're going to get Alzheimer's, and now the first time you forget where you put your keys, you think, oh, no. What if it's setting in? Then you find your keys, like, oh, yeah, that's where I put them. But enough of those things start piling up, and you think, oh, no. I've talked to people who are in the beginning getting stages, and you could just tell there is fear, there's dread, there's... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I don't know, and it's hard. Because I don't know what's coming. But I've been told what it's going to be like. But as far as I know, at least with Alzheimer's, there's not the intense pain of some things. Imagine if you were told you're almost certainly going to get a kind of cancer that is incurable, and it is going to bring intense pain. Well, as long as you're not showing any symptoms, you get along okay in life. But the moment some of the pain begins, the fear of how intense this is going to be and the dread of what the whole experience is going to be like can be overwhelming. Something along the lines of all of those things mixed up, only exponentially worse, is going through Jesus' mind and his heart as he anticipates hanging on that cross and experiencing the wrath of God. And he cries out, Father, save me bear me if at all possible if you are willing let this cup pass from me but then jesus does what he always does not my will father Your will be done. What shall I say then? Father, save me from this hour. And yet, for this hour I have come. This is why I'm here. Father, glorify your name do it, Father. Finish what we started. Your will, not mine, is all that matters. We have seen this on almost every page of the Gospel of John. I have come to do my Father's will. I have come to do the Father's will. I've come to do my Father's will. It's not about me. It's about Him. And here, as He's face to face, as it's about to get real, Once again, he says, glorify your name, Father. And boom! Out of the heavens thunders this noise. I should have had a cool sound effect ready for right there. They don't know what it is. Two, two weeks ago, it's a Saturday night, and I'm sitting in my chair, and I've got headphones on. I've got noise-canceling cancelling headphones on. You know the kind that shuts out everything else? My kids are all doing this, and I'm just watching their lips flap, because I'm not listening to them, because I've got noise-canceling headphones. Are there wasn't any music going on. No, I'm kidding. There was. <laughs> and through these noise-canceling headphones, I hear a boom. And my wife and my kids... Froze. And they were absolutely certain there was somebody with a gun right behind our house that fired two shots. Then I get a text from Pat Jarrett, a street over. You guys shooting off bombs over there? His family went because it sounded like it was in their backyard. We shut off the lights. Everybody on the ground. What's going to happen? We've got the, uh, the triggered lights in the back. You're thinking, are we going to see somebody move and the lights are going to pop on? Waiting for the police sirens because somebody smarter than us calls the police. We're going to read. What was this noise? And we're Pat and I are talking back and forth, and I didn't hear it. Right? I couldn't tell. He's like, oh, I don't think it was a gunshot. The the concussion was not the right frequency, and all this. And we're trying to figure out what was this. We didn't know. Well, that's what these people—they don't know what this is. Some people are saying it's thunder. Others said, no, 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 no—an angel has spoken. Remember, angels aren't cute. They're not pudgy, they're not fat, they are terrifying. So they hear this thunderous roar and some of them are saying, that's an angel who has just spoken to Jesus. How sad is it when God speaks and people can't hear what he's saying? Jesus says, no, it's not thunder, not an angel. The Father has spoken not for my sake, but for yours. And what did the Father say? I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. I have glorified my name, the Father says. When Jesus fed the 5,000, I glorified my name. When Jesus healed the lame man, I glorified my name. When Jesus gave sight to the blind man, I glorified my name. When Jesus raised Lazarus, I glorified my name. I have glorified my name and I will do it again by putting my son on the cross. That's unexpected. Now, it's not unexpected for us because we know the story, but for the original hearers, that's unexpected. What? God says, I will glorify my name again, and he means when I put my son on the cross. This is the preeminent way in which God glorifies his name. Jesus on the cross. That's what's ahead for Jesus. But the implications are universal and cosmic. Did you see what Jesus said in verse 31? Now, judgment Is upon this world. Everything from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, everything has been heading toward this point of Jesus on the cross. And the New Testament tells us that God overlooked the sins of those in the past. He he, he overlooked as nations went their own way. But now that Christ has come and gone to the cross, now judgment is upon this world. And everybody on planet Earth will be judged based on whether or not they believe the gospel. Paul said it to the, the Athenians in Acts nineteen or 17. He says, God has furnished proof that judgment day is coming by raising a man from the dead and saying that all men everywhere must repent before that judgment day or else they will be judged guilty. Now, Jesus says, now judgment is on the world. This is why we have to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Every tribe, every nation, every people group, they need us to tell them of the coming judgment so they can call out for forgiveness now before it's too late. Not only that, Jesus says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is Satan. Think about what his life has been like, at least since the beginning of what we know of him. God creates Adam and Eve, things are going to be great, it's wonderful, it's paradise, everything's going great, we got these two people that are going to worship God and honor God and serve God and make more people to worship God and serve God and honor God. Before they even make one extra person, Satan shows up and ruins the whole thing. And he leads them astray, and they disobey God, and God judges them. You only have to turn a few more chapters in Genesis where the world is full of people, and God says, I am sad I ever created man. They're nothing but corrupt and wicked. And what is Satan doing? Party, I win. I've ruined your plan, God. And you read through the Old Testament, and it sure seems like Satan wins. Jesus says, now, he's cast off of his throne. No longer does Satan have the power to deceive the nations. Remember back to the promise to Abraham? Way back at the beginning of the story, in you and in your seed, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be blessed in your descendants, And for the rest of the Old Testament, it's only Israel. Why? Because Satan was deceiving the nations. And they committed idolatry after idolatry. Now, Jesus says, Satan is cast off of his throne. He no longer has the power to deceive the nations. Jesus dies. He rises again and he tells his disciples, you go across this world and preach the gospel And make disciples in every nation because Satan has been defeated. We are guaranteed success in missions. Guaranteed. Not with every individual we talk to, but in every nation, every tribe, every language, there will be people who confess the name of Jesus because Satan's power has been destroyed. And he knows it. I don't have time this morning, but in Revelation 12, it talks about how he is angry, he knows his time is short, and he is out trying to destroy the church. But he can't, because he lost. Jesus says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all people groups. That's what he means. I'll draw all nations to myself if I'm lifted up. If I'm put on the cross... Then I will bring people from all across the world to myself. Well, what do the hearers think about all this? We would love to think they celebrated. That sounds great, Jesus. I mean, sorry about you having to die and all that, but praise the Lord, all the people are going to get saved across the world. No, 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 that's not what they said. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The law says, the the Bible says, the Messiah lives forever. And yet here you are telling us the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and put on a cross? Who is this Son of Man? We don't like the Son of Man type that dies. We want the Son of Man who lives and throws off the Romans and leads us into our kingdom. And Jesus responds with a very stern warning that we have heard over and over again so far in the Gospel of John, going way back to chapter one. He says, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. He says, I'm here, I'm right here. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you don't know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light, become sons of the light. And then notice what Jesus does immediately. It's the first mic drop. Believe in the light, walk in the light, follow the light. The light is about to be gone, and then he leaves. And he hides himself. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus... day is the day to become a child of the light because you'd never know when he's going to be gone when it's going to be too late don't wait there is a time coming when there'll be no more opportunity for them it was that day if you are a christian God in his mercy and in his grace opened your eyes to see the light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. We sang that earlier. As I was a prisoner laying there in my cell in darkness, God shined his light in my cell and opened the door and my chains fell off and I walked through. We're not all down with the ladies at the correctional facility. We're not all in that kind of prison, but we were all enslaved to sin. And if we are a Christian today, it's because God in his mercy freed us and shined his light in our hearts and called us into his family and his kingdom. And Jesus was glorified, and the Father was glorified in the cross. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. We sing it. We have a song called The Glory of the Cross. We sing this all the time. But don't miss it. Of all the things that the Father has done, to demonstrate his power and his glory and his attributes and his character and all that he is, of all the things that he's done, the highest glorification is the low point in Jesus' life. Him going to the cross. The innocent and righteous and perfect Son of God Cute baby, I know. (laughs) But don't miss this. Your King came to this earth. Your God came to this earth and brought glory to his Father. by dying for you and me. There's only one worthy response. To say to him, and through our actions say it, all glory to you, Jesus. I will live for you for the rest of my life. I will endure anything you call me to. It's not about me. If he was willing to suffer the wrath of God on your behalf, what would you possibly withhold? What is too much of him to ask? Our lives must declare to him, all glory be to Christ. Everything. Everything I am, everything I have, all my desires, my ambitions, everything. Yours, Jesus, it's all yours. That's our response. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here whose heart is troubled because they know they don't know you, that in your grace and mercy, you would draw them to the light. And may we who walk in the light sing sincerely, maybe like never before, all glory be to Christ, all glory be to our King forever and ever, because you are worthy of all of our praise. Amen.